0: been thinking about this lately This is what I suppose Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org London.org. I realise not sitting right with me So I'm on my knees for understanding The more the world I see, the more I see Even I fit in, but I'm no diamond ring i got a lot to learn, so I'm listening Yeshua HaMashiach, rescuer, anointed, empowered. Lord, you alone are empowered to save. And we so need your saving power in our frail, weak lives. We thank you, Lord, for your power that you have placed at our disposal. That you have focused all of the resources of heaven toward your people. Lord, you are our only hope. Only you. Not our money. Not our connections. Not our reputation. Not our family. Not our education. None of these things, Lord. You are our only hope. Save us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 15. reading from verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. But as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And verse 56 reads, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Barely had we entered into 2011. Barely. And we're greeted by news of another bereavement. For a family already rocked by the loss of one father. Within a month, and less than a month of the funeral, they received news. An unwelcome intruder in our lives. I remember Pastor Rob last Sunday standing up and saying, you know, we say Happy New Year, but will it be? And he preached in a message exhorting us to press on. Now, those who had ears to hear heard the message. And those who didn't, walked out. Not taking much with them. And yet, just a few days later, having shared that message, Pastor Rob hears that his stepdad has passed away. Now, death is something that we all have to deal with. Death is something that we all have to face. And the reality is that we don't like to face death. We don't like to deal with death. Even as Christians, we don't. We don't. It's uncomfortable talking about it. It's not the kind of conversation you kind of have on the tube platform in the morning as you're going to go to work. In exchange of the regular conversations about the weather, you kind of turn around and say, oh, you know, I was just planning my funeral the other day and I was thinking about how I'd like it to be. It's not socially acceptable. It's not a social norm. But it's something that we have to face and it Something that we have to deal with. There are many among us who we know have had to deal with bereavement in recent months, across the past year. And the reality is that bereavement is such that when you lose a loved one, it doesn't really matter how long it is since they passed it doesn't matter how long it is since they died when you've lost someone close to you you still feel it bereavement counselors say you never get over it you just learn to manage you learn to cope better which is true It's a very unfortunate thing when someone rubs you on the shoulder, puts their arm around you, and says, Not to worry, it will all work out, you'll get over it. It's not true. When I was three months old, my mother left me with my grandmother. And from the age of three months old, my grandmother, already a pension age, retired lady, brought me up. And in April of 1991, she passed away and went to be with the Lord. And that's 20 years ago. And I remember my grand. I remember my earliest memories i remember my gran meeting me after school i used to go to primary school in clapham on kings avenue um it used to be called kings acre i think it's kings avenue school or something like that and um what i remember distinctly is my gran she's an elderly woman we used to live at clapham park road and she used to walk to meet me and especially in the bitter, cold of the winter. She would come, and when she met me after school, I'd, I'd leave the gates, and I'd walk up the road, and there was, there's a big tree, just, there's a, there's a petrol station, I don't know if this is a petrol station still there, there's a big tree, and it used to have a wall around it, like a little wall, short wall, that you could sit on, and my gran used to meet me there. And in the wintertime, my gran would meet me there, and she'd have a flask, hot chocolate. Now, we were going to be walking for maybe half an hour at her pace. It would have probably taken me five minutes. But nonetheless, such was her love and her care for me that she didn't want me to walk that half an hour cold and without something hot inside me. And that was typical of my gran and my relationship with her. 20 years. That still stirs my heart. That still is able to put a lump in my throat. And if I think too hard, it causes me to hold back the tears. Not because my gran is lost she taught me the way of the lord and yes yeah, she was elderly and even at the point of her death she was sick and quite frankly her death was a relief because it meant i knew she had no more suffering and no more pain Because I knew the word was true. Yet still, I can feel emotional when I reminisce about the love that I shared with my grand and the relationship that we had. And that's the reality of bereavement. That's the reality. Of experiencing a loss. The loss of someone close to you. I wonder if there's anyone here. I I wonder if you'd do something for me. If you've lost someone close to you. Whether in your immediate family. Or somebody who's played an extremely close role in your life. Would you just put your hand up please. Mm. Amen. See, that's the majority. The majority have. And yet, in time to come, there will be a point at which if I were to ask that question again, everybody will put their hand up. Because the reality is 10 out of 10 people die. And so how do we prepare for death? How do we face death? I particularly want to consider today, how do we deal with the death of a loved one and that person lived a life that causes us to be unsure? Of their eternal destiny. See for those of us who are Christians. It's. Easier to. Deal with knowing somebody has passed. They passed away. And they have gone into glory. Paul said to be absent from the, from the body is to be present with the Lord. But how do we handle it when we're uncertain? How do we? None of us wants a loved one to die. For those of us who are Christians, we especially don't want a loved one to die who does not know Christ. We're grateful to God that in this country, the gospel has freedom. It is freely proclaimed. And that the majority of people, if not all people in this country, will have had opportunity at some stage in their life To hear of Jesus and seek him, should they submit to do so. But the reality is, even as Christians, our lives are not lived in a way that they come in nice, neat packages. With a tidy bowl, and everything's just so in its place, and it's not always like that. And in part of our being able to face death and to deal with bereavement and deal with grief, it's one of those things that we we don't like to talk about, we don't even like to think about it. It's the unthinkable. And yet, we need to give consideration to it in order to be better prepared, to be best prepared. In verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15, we're told... As in Adam, all die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. One thing is for certain all will die. Death is one of the realities of life that manifest the truth of Scripture. As in Adam, all die. As an inheritor of the sin nature, we are subject to death. The sting of death is sin. So, if death were a hornet bee, you know those huge bees that even the roughest hard-backed man will run from? If death were a hornet bee, the stinging implement that we also don't want to have to deal with is sin. It is because of sin that we die And all die because all have sinned. No exemptions. And so, as much as we don't like to talk about death, we don't like to think about death, we don't like to, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable to have to deal with death emotionally it's unsettling to say the least the reality is it's one of those facts of life that is true for everyone it's true for everyone and there is absolutely no avoiding it and furthermore Death is such that it doesn't normally announce its arrival. It can come very unexpectedly. I walked out of my house this morning. And the car was on fire. And I mean, where's my phone? I I filmed it. The car was on fire. The petrol cap was open, the flap. The cork was out. And there were flames coming out of the tank. Now, it wasn't my car. But it was the car next to my car. So it might as well have been my car. I was going to get something out of the boot of my car. And I see flames coming out of the petrol tank. Now, I haven't watched enough films to know (laughs) that's not a good look. That's problems right there. And I was shocked and I was shook. And I I, I was paces from my front door about where the speaker is. And my car was just up there, just, just past the but by the, the, the doors there and it was a car in front of my car and I'm standing there on the pavement and I'm seeing flames coming out of the, the petrol cap and I'm like this, F- I, I'm thinking, Sh- I see flames, the, the flaps open, Shall I go and close the flap? Like I'm some 18 MacGyver kind of cut off the air supply, you know what it was, cut off, and, and the flame will go up. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on a minute, what kind of hero am I trying to be? And I get to the flap, and the thing blows up in my face. And I stood there, and obviously, you, you call the professionals, isn't it? And as I'm waiting for the fire brigade to come, I, just, just, just as I was about to phone the fire brigade, I see a brother come out of the house next to the car that was burning. He came out of the gate and I said, "Yo!" Stay there, don't come down here. The car's on fire. The car's on fire. And he let off some expletives, backed off up the road, crossed over the road. And then Colin was there with me. Colin's a cool brother, you know. Yeah, Colin. Ah, don't worry. From the the tanks already burning, it's not going to blow up. Like he's a scientist, you know. (laughs) I I ain't got time to be thinking about them kind of details. As far as I'm concerned, I said to Colin, fam, we don't know that. The thing's going to blow up. And the fire started getting bigger. So, what went from a little flame coming out, it started to get bigger and it started to smoke, indicating that more fuel was burning. And I'm like, Lord of his mercy. And after I phoned the fire brigade, I start filming on my iPhone in it? <laughs> now it seems evidently that someone had set that fire. And momentarily, I was scared for my life. I could have been on my phone, not noticed the car was burning. And by the time I got to my car, that could have been the end of me. Full stop. Now, there are times in our lives when we all have those kind of could have been scenarios, right? I could have died in that instance. I could have. And this for me, although I was able to stay at a safe distance, so I wasn't continuously in fear of my life. There was a moment where I was scared for the fact that this car could blow up and take me with it. Death could have knocked again this morning. It could have been my death that you were hearing about this morning. Without exaggeration. Death is indiscriminate. In Adam all die. It was interesting because when the professionals came... They were absolutely unfazed. They're professionals, right? They understand. They were prepared. They did not seem phased by the fact that they were potentially in a life-threatening situation. Maybe their understanding caused them to recognise that it wasn't such a serious scenario. They drove up in the fire in the firearm truck. They stopped by, beside the car. They got out of the fire truck. Now, first thing to me, I was like, how do you stop beside a car that's burning? Doesn't that, like, jeopardize your fire truck, like like all of you, if it blows up? And they get out of the car, out of the truck, walk up to the car, look at the problem, flames coming out. Guy reaches for the hose. Next thing I'm thinking, I went cadets, right, so I done fire training, know about fire triangle and You don't put water on an oil fire and all them kind of business there. So he's reached for a hose and he's turned the water on. And I'm thinking, what a madness is that? How do you put water on a a liquid fuel-based fire? You know, if you've got a fire in your kitchen, right, you don't throw water from the tap on it. This is going to save some of your lives. Listen. (laughs) You don't reach for the the bucket out of the sink and throw water on your frying pan when it's on fire. You take a wet cloth and smother it. Amen? All right. So I'm thinking that they're gonna come with some foam and foam up the place. Brothers, just stand turn on the water and fill the tank with water. I'm thinking, look at that. They were prepared. And in being prepared, they were able to deal with and manage the situation in an effective fashion. All die. How do we deal with it? Well, for us as believers, we know that, as the text says, in Christ all shall be made alive. And in that we rejoice. This is why Christ came to offer us hope and security beyond this life. And we know this because he was raised from the dead. This isn't just words on a page. Jesus died brutally, openly, before a whole city of people. He was certified dead by the Romans as they speared his side. He didn't, as some say, just pass out or become unconscious. But he was dead and they made sure that he was dead before they took him off the cross. After they pierced his side, blood and water came out, separate and distinct. A condition that some call a broken heart where the, the sack around the heart, the serum sack around the heart had burst. And it was such that no one could survive that condition. They were guaranteed to die. So Jesus didn't just faint. He didn't pass out. He didn't become unconscious. He didn't go into a coma. He died. And yet, three days later, and you can review the account at the beginning of chapter 15, as I'm speaking, if you wish. He was seen by the disciples. He was seen by groups of the disciples. He ate with the disciples. And in fact, it says that he was seen by over 500 witnesses. So Jesus was properly dead and yet properly alive. We hear that so much, it's a cliche. It don't affect us. It don't reach us. Some of you may uh, remember the, the, the death and funeral of Lady Diana. The people's princess, queen of hearts. And the nation and even people around the world were in mourning. And there were mass displays of grief in the streets. There was no doubt she was dead. Not like Tupac. People are still debating today whether or not Tupac's alive. Machiavelli. Debate all they may as iconic a figure as he is, we understand that he's dead. Michael Jackson is dead. In his day, the death of Christ, as far as public awareness would have been on that level. We know this because when Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were surprised that he seemed to not be aware of what had been going on. Do you not know what's been happening in Jerusalem? And. Now remember. They were speaking about the crucifixion. They weren't speaking about the resurrection at this point. Because they didn't realize that they were speaking to the risen Jesus. So they were saying. Don't you know about Jesus who died openly? Everybody knows right? Now I want you to imagine if. Tomorrow, Michael Jackson was on every news channel, every channel, professing to be alive. And they run DNA, and, they, and, they, and it's him, it's Michael Jackson, he's back! Some people be like, hee <laughs> I've seen some some unkind Facebook comments and so on. Lord, why did you have to take Michael Jackson? Couldn't you take Justin Bieber and, <laughs> and this next one or whatever and give him back? It's off-key, isn't it? If he came back, people would know about it. If, if he came back, it would be, I mean, talk about a news washout. Every channel would be featuring the return of the Jack. You could just see the headlines. It would be extraordinary because as far as the world is concerned, it's unheard of. Now, you won't see that tomorrow. But we do know that Christ rose from the grave. And it's supposed to impact us in the same way that it would if we were to hear of Michael Jackson or Lady Di, Lady Di or, or um, Tupac or maybe not Tupac. but It's supposed to impact us. The reality of that is supposed to reach us. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And those eyewitnesses that saw him were put to death for their testimony. And all of this provides us assurance that though we die, Though we sleep the sleep of death as Christians, we shall live. Amen. We shall live. And so, although this morning I came out and saw fire coming out of the petrol tank, and I said "I, I feared for my life, it was not in an eternal sense, it was momentary. I'm not scared to die. And I don't say that as bravado, bad man talk. What? Don't scared for dead, you know. It's not that. It's because I know my Redeemer lives. And so I don't have to fear death. That's an issue settled in my heart. Now, some of you here today, you don't have that confidence. You don't have that assurance. You don't have that assurance that if you were to walk out of here and get hit by a bus, if you walk out of here and get stabbed, if you were to walk out of here and get, sh- if, you, if your heart was to stop beating right where you're sitting now, you don't have that assurance that you will live. And that is evidence, I would hazard to say, That you have not found peace with God through Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's what it all comes down to. That's the bottom line. That's the fundamental thing, right? Sunday after Sunday. Community group after community group. Song after song. Scripture after scripture. Where does it most matter? Eternity... Is not a long time. <laughs> eternity is the absence of time. It is forever and ever and ever and ever and put the echo on and let it keep running. That's eternity. And that's what we face when we step out of this world, when we step out of this life, when we step out of this suit. And if you don't have that assurance, you can have it. You can have it. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed, present tense, from death into life. That's what Jesus said in John 5, 24. If you receive his word, put in your faith in Christ as being the son of God, That's just what this is what he's saying, believes in him who sent me, God the Father sent the Son. You shall have everlasting life and not come into judgment but have passed from death in eternal sense to life in an eternal sense. That is the assurance that you can have before you leave here today. Ezekiel 18.20 says this. The soul who sins shall die. The soul who sins shall die, surely. If a person rejects Christ, if a person does not submit to receiving the word, does not take it to heart and apply it to their lives, does not put their faith in Christ and repent of their sin, you shall die for your sin. And in the context of Ezekiel 18, that's what he's talking about. You sin, you die. There's no one else who is going to die for your sin. There's only one who has done that, and that's Jesus. But if you've rejected him, there's no one else who can pay for your sin, can take the penalty for your sin, can die in your place. The soul who sins shall die. And in Ecclesiastes twelve six, it says, Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the picture shattered at the fountain. Or the will broken at the well. Verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. This is often a, a very misunderstood verse. A very misunderstood verse. By those who come across it. Because they think it seems to suggest that. All who die, their spirit goes to be with God. So everyone goes to heaven, right? This is not what it's saying. It says that the spirit will return to God who gave it. But that's just the beginning of the story. It doesn't conclude the story, it doesn't give you the full picture of what's going to happen. It's like saying there was an argument on the bus. But what I don't tell you is that the argument on the bus led to someone being stabbed and killed. I haven't given you the full picture. I've been truthful. There was an argument on the bus, but it was more than that. In the book of Revelation, it tells us what God does with those spirits of the dead. If you turn to Revelation chapter 20... Let's look from verse 11. And this situation, let me clarify from the outset, depicts the plight of the unbeliever who dies in their sin. 2011. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. By the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So verse 13 tells us the sea give up the dead who were in it and death and Hades deliver up the dead who were in them and they were judged so the spirit returns to god but it returns to god for judgment chapter 2, verse 19 says, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And Jesus said this in John six thirty-seven: all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. You imagine the thief on the cross. We, 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 we share his testimony all the time. Because it's a true picture of that hope. To the very last moments of a person's life, there is hope in Christ alone. The thief's there. And the, his testimony was that he was a criminal. That's why they called him a thief. That's what he was known to be. If anyone was thinking about who are those guys on the cross... Well, that one calls himself God, and them brothers are thieves. That was their reputation. That was their identity. And yet, one of them, unbeknown to many, although witnessed by some, was repentant. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He acknowledged and recognized Jesus as Lord with his last moments. And what did Jesus say? No, you lived a sinful life, man. It's too late now. Should have done it while you had the chance. Forget that. What Jesus said, this day, knowing he was going to die that day, this day you will be with me in paradise. Praise be to God. Because it is by faith we are saved and not works. And so, how do we deal with this? How do, we, how do we address this issue when we consider the life of someone who may have had a profession of faith, but maybe their life lacked the fruit that convinced us? You see, the Bible does say, for those who are alive and profess faith, There is supposed to be accompanying fruit that testify to living faith. James chapter 2 Show me your faith by your works. So you say you got a license. You say you're a driver. I hear that. Here's the car keys. Faith without works. Is dead faith. And so if an individual's life does not bear fruit, in John 15 it says the branch that does not bear fruit gets cut off. So there must be fruit corresponding or we have a right to doubt whether that person is saved. Now we can't say the person is or isn't. Matthew seven one, Luke six thirty-seven. Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. Luke six thirty seven. Condemn not lest you be condemned. So first and foremost, we are licensed to observe an individual's behavior and make an evaluation or a judgment, but not in a final, determinative, eternal sense because we would be judging according to our estimation and not according to God's. Let me clarify that. When Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, condemn not lest you not be condemned, he's not saying don't ever make a judgment about someone. Don't ever make a judgment about someone's behavior and determine whether it's right or wrong. He couldn't have been meaning that because in verse forty-seven he goes on to say, "You will know them by their fruit." So you got you to gotta be like the man from Del Monte. You got to taste fruit. You got to inspect fruit and see if it's genuine. That involves judgment. But there's two senses of the meaning of the word, especially brought out in Luke six thirty-seven. One, don't judge according to your own standard. Your own view there is only one standard of righteous judgment and that is God's standard as revealed in his word. So just because you don't like someone, you don't like the way they speak, you don't like the way they're clothes, you don't like the way they look at you, you don't like, oh, that person ain't saved. That person's no good. They ain't got no hope. Look at them. Just spitting bars all the time, walking around with their hood up. no hope no that's unrighteous because that's not the righteous standard as revealed in the word of God by which we're able to judge that's our own standard and this is what it means don't judge in that way condemn not lest you be condemned the word condemn for all of you who are in the Greek you like the, the Greek words kata dikhadso You've got to get the little in there. And it basically means to divide apart and to set one against another. And so there is that sense of separating someone from yourself and furthermore from God in a final sense. If you ever turn around and say, that person will never be saved, you know what? That's a sin right there. Because Jesus saves to the uttermost and the guttermost. There is no one beyond his ability to save. And so that sense of permanently separating. It's something that we're not to do because there is hope for all people. That's not our place. That's not our role. Again, 2 Timothy 2, 19, the Lord knows those who are his. He knows them. And we might not be readily able to fellowship with them as believers because their fruit does not correspond with what we're supposed to see in the life of a genuine believer but we don't write them off like a wrecked vehicle. It's a write-off, condemned, can't be, it's not, never be roadworthy again. Chassis cracked. You know, that that needs a, a new vehicle. We can't write anyone off. Some of us have been guilty of that in our hearts, even if not with our lips. We've looked at certain people and we don't like the way they look. Maybe we think, oh, that woman looks too slack. Or that guy is too proud, conceited. Or, and we're ready to write them off. We need to repent of that if that's in our hearts. But the word goes on to say in Luke 19, let those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So there must be a sense of righteousness, a, a, a evidence of what Is known as sanctification being worked out in the life of one who professes Christ. But even when that is lacking, we can't be quick to assume that when they die, that they're not going to enter into God's presence if they've made a profession of faith. This is a verse I ask you to consider well. It is a verse that has, in my relationship with others, especially with other Christians, has brought me to a place where I've had to humble myself before the Lord and say, you are Lord in heaven and I am here on earth. I let my words be few. Mark chapter 4 verse 20. Looking at the parable of the sower or the soils. In the parable, Jesus says, This is the parable that unlocks all the parables. You want to know about the kingdom? Because that's what the parable spoke of. You want to know about the kingdom? If you get this, you'll get the rest. If you don't get this, you won't get the rest. Because this is the master key right here. And in the parable, he talks about the four soil types. And I'm going to pick up the pace because time's against me. He talks about the four soils, the wayside, the stony ground, the thorns, and the good soil. And no fruit came from the seed, which is the word, representing the word of God, that was cast on the wayside. The birds came, took it up. No no fruit came from the seed that was cast in stony ground because it couldn't take root. So it went in well. They received it with gladness. Hey! Yeah, this is good stuff, eternal life. I'm going to be blessed. Wonderful. And then it got scorched. Persecution comes. Ouch. I didn't. I, I'm looking for the blessing, not the beating. And they depart. Seed sown amongst the thorns. No fruit. Why? The cares of life. And the deceitfulness of riches come and choke out the word. But the seed sown in good ground brings forth fruit. And that's the whole point of the parable the soil represents the human heart the individual's heart the seed represents the word of God and the whole point is where is it going to bring forth fruit? and so there was only one that had a redemptive picture there was only one that made sense in the whole of the parable there was only one that fulfilled the point and it was the good soil and how do we know? because it brought forth fruit no fruit, no good but listen to this. Verse 20. Oh my days. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word. Accept it. And bear fruit. Some thirty fold. Some sixty. And some a hundred. Listen. Listen. That says that there's some that brought forth fruit 30% in their life and in their lifetime. Some brought forth 60% and some 100%. Now, some people look at fruit. What is fruit? This is a key thing. What is fruit? Is fruit being a soul winner? How many saves did you, souls did you save as you went out after receiving the gospel? Is that evident of your, evidence of your fruitful life? No. Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. One fruit, don't get it twisted. It's not nine fruits. So the implication would be it's nine fruits, love, joy, peace, and you go on. And 30%, I only have to give, I only have to have love, joy, and peace. But I'm bad mind, <laughs> unself controlled, bitter, twisted, unfaithful. But I got 30% did it. No, no, no. It's one fruit of nine segments. Some would even say eight segments with the core being love. So they all hang on love. Now, you might have a little bit of fruit, like a small little clementine. Clementine's them can sweet, you know. I've got some at home. Listen, the the, the little they used to say, but they're they're little but talawa, The little but the good, strong, sweet. Your fruit might be big like a grapefruit. Or your fruit might be watermelon, cannonball, boom, bam, bim. But there's fruit. Now, you might look at the person's life and you see little clementine fruit and think you're not serious are you even saved i don't know how to judge what 30% 60% and 100% looks like and really it's not something that we're to concern ourselves with in in a personal sense we're supposed to press toward the mark go all out 100% in our lifetime that's supposed to be the aim. That's supposed to be the goal. Not no license, half measure. Okay, well, I only need to go 50%, you know, because Jesus said, no. Within a person's given lifetime, it's supposed to be all out. And some people, maybe they, have, as a result of a short lifetime, they don't come to the level of maturity that they could have done it in more time. But all this says to us is that everyone's different and are going to have different measures of fruit in our lives. So we have to be very careful how we want to judge who's serious and who's not, who's saved and who's not. We have to be careful. Yes, we're supposed to encourage one another unto love and good works, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. We're supposed to encourage one another and urge one another. We're supposed to press on but at the end of the individual's life, as we stand over the coffin and we feel that lack of assurance, wow, you know what? They only seem to have a religious faith. And we feel gutted and guilty. We feel grieved and we feel at a loss. You know what? Let's take courage in the fact that the Lord knows those who is aware is. And all that, The Father has given to Jesus will come to him. There is nothing that we could do on that person's behalf to save them. Jesus has done it. And that individual must give an account for themselves as we must give an account for ourselves. And the Lord wants our burden to be lightened, it's not going to be entirely lifted. But the Lord wants our burden to be lightened by the hope that is in Christ Jesus. God is a fair and just judge. In Romans 2 5, it says that God's judgment is righteous, it's right on, it's proper, it's fair. And then you consider the whole of that chapter, and it speaks to us of the fact that no one's going to be able to stand and before God and point the finger and say, "God, you're not fair. I shouldn't be standing here before your white throne facing the lake of fire. It's not fair." No one's going to be able to say that because God is righteous. He's blameless. He's beyond reproach. He's he's beyond refute. He's flawless. He's perfect in all his ways, including his judgment. And so, how do we talk about death? Did they make a profession of faith? Maybe we're unaware. And we may fear that they were lost, we may fear that they didn't go to be with the Lord. But actually, you know what? None of us, apart from God Himself, can answer that, can silence that fear. And so the most we can say is I fear that they were lost. I fear that they were not saved. But God knows those who are His. Maybe they lived an unfruitful life and it causes us concern. Maybe they made a profession of faith and yet we recognize that there is hope in Christ alone. And so we do commit them to the Lord and trust that God is good and his judgment is right and it's fair. And then we ensure that we ourselves do not leave an uncertain testimony that causes our own people to have to wonder with pain in their heart, did he make it? Lord, please just help me to know that that is such an unnecessary thing for us to do. To have a good report, a good testimony, the Apostle Paul. You know what? My time's coming. I fought a good fight. I've run the race, finished the course. It's there. We know his testimony. We rejoice at his parting. And for those who believe, death is to be a time of rejoicing. It is a graduation. It's a promotion. and so we're to rejoice we do not mourn as those who have no hope and yet in those circumstances where it's uncertain it's okay to confess our fear and actually it's necessary to confess our fear that those who hear will be warned That there is the risk of judgment if you die without Christ. But there is hope in Christ even to the last moment. And in the knowledge of that, we need to be faithful witnesses, preaching and urging, knowing the terror of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5. We urge men, knowing the terror. The Bible says God is a consuming fire. And because of the emotion and the difficulty associated with death, we must be prepared to face it honestly and faithfully so as to help the living. And it's hard. And maybe in that moment when it's our loss, it's not on us We're just trying to wrestle with grief. But especially for those who are around and who are supporting and who are praying and who are ministering to those in that time of bereavement. Let us be clear that there is hope in Christ, but not all people go to heaven when they die. It's not based on works and how good they lived their life and what their reputation was like, but it's based on faith in Jesus alone and we can rejoice in that. Amen? Let's stand. I'm just going to ask Tim to come back as I close us in prayer. I realise that in many ways, it may be a challenging word, particularly at this time. And I believe that the Lord's desire is that we be encouraged by it, that we be strengthened by it, that we be better prepared and equipped as we deal with these times. It's not strange, this fiery trial that we go through, people die. And as we mature in age, Death which was further removed from us as a child draws nearer and closer to us because we're getting older and our elders are getting older. And so let's have those conversations with them. Let's speak to them. And you know, sometimes it's, the the, the door needs to be, you know, mom, dad, uncle, auntie, this might sound morbid, but it's not morbid because it's gonna come to us all. And you know, I was at a funeral the other day of an elder and you know everything was just right and their wishes were respected and like how how do you want to be remembered? And how do you want to be honored? How what do you want your send-off to be like? And they might find it uncomfortable like you're putting your mouth on them. That you're trying to get rid of them. But we need to help people be prepared because that will lead to the conversation. Where are you gonna go when when you do go? Where are you gonna go? And some of us need to be having those conversations with our families because they're maturing or they're ailing and we can't just sit back and hope that someone else is gonna have that conversation with them. We need to pray that God give us the grace And the wisdom and the courage to address those issues. Maybe first in the natural, but then dealing with the spiritual. And trusting God. Because we cannot save anyone. And Our wise words and eloquent articulation, none of that's going to... It's the work of God's spirit in their heart. so may the Lord help us to be bold may the Lord help us to be courageous may the Lord give us wisdom as we appeal to the living to turn to Christ and flee from the judgment to come and if you're here today and you have not submitted your life to the truth of Christ you may have even made a profession of faith in Jesus you may have even been baptised But you realize that your life is fruitless, then we will urge you to come and allow us to pray with you. The Bible says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while. Don't take tomorrow for granted. Death is indiscriminate. God's love is too great to be scorned and to turn our nose up at it. Lord, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you so much for the hope. There's only hope in you, Lord. You know, the atheists don't know what to think about death. It puts their whole framework of thinking as meaningless. What is the purpose of their life? The sun is going to annihilate the universe that we live in everything is gonna be as nothing and what would be the point of it all you are the only one who makes sense of death and of life you're the only one Lord Jesus and we're so grateful to you that you provided hope and it's not even something that we need to earn but we simply have to surrender and submit our lives to you and find eternal life through what you have done on the cross in paying for our sins taking our judgement thank you Jesus may that be real to us oh Lord make it real to us oh Lord we pray. Lord I pray that not one person would leave here uncertain that no one would leave here deluding themselves convincing themselves against the the light of their conscience that says you're faking it you're You're a fraud. Let no one leave in that place, Lord. But may all come to find the assurance of your Holy Spirit who testifies to our spirit that we are your children through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm no diamond ring i got a lot to learn So I'm listening I'll be where I fit in But I'm no diamond ring Yeah, yeah I've got a lot to learn